This is the Game Level Learn podcast. Join us as we discuss games, gaming, and gamification in the context of teaching and learning. We discuss games new and old and unpack how those games might be used out of the box as a tool for game-based learning, while also discussing how the mechanics of games can be repurposed for entirely different learning objectives. If you're a teacher or a student, parent, administrator, game designer, game publisher, writer, or just someone interested in cutting-edge education, Game Level Learn is for you. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 5 of Game Level Learn. I'm Tracy Wozniger, and I am joined by John Cassie. Tonight, we're going to be talking about the game Small World. John, would you like to explain to us how you play Small World? Tracy, how many times have you played Small World? Ten plus, mm-hmm. I yeah. would say. Yeah, yeah. It, it's one of these great, very accessible, small rule set gateway games, isn't it? Yes. Where, you know, even even if you had only played sort of Monopoly and Sorry, you could probably teach someone how to play Small World. And, you know, with the exception of some of the kind of the narrative, the character bits that can be a little funky. Right. Uh, the game is totally easy to understand. I mean, and frankly, if you played something like Risk, which like Small World is an area control game, then you, you'd, you'd be even it would be even clearer what's going on, right? I think Small World was one of the first games I played when I got into tabletop gaming. Indeed. I, you know, I I mean, re- it, it was one of the first ones that I think you probably explained it to me. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm thinking back, you know, a number of years ago when, when I know you were uh, really diving into the deep end of the hobby, and I remember you... You get it. I think that was one of the first games that you bought. Yes. And that you sort of bought expansions to and that you were sort of interested in the universe, the kind of, you know, the, the right. mythology of Small World. Um, because it's such a it's such a great game. And it it, it, uh, it it's worth all of the accolades that it gets, you know, in the press and, and from, uh, you know, from folks who who want to bring new people into the hobby. Well, yeah, come on. Try Small World. So that's one of the reasons why we're talking about it on this podcast is because it's accessible. Teachers who don't game but who should try gaming, you could easily start with a game like this. And uh, I think that you know by the end of the episode, Tracy and I will have talked about a, a number of different ways that an area control game, particularly one with this kind of interesting narrative focus, um, might be easily translatable into, you know, into your classroom context. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about some other aspects of the game, but I think in terms of using it as a framework for gamification, there's a lot going on here. There's a lot that this game has to offer. So, Small World, uh, just a little uh, kind of little history context, is another game that's roughly ten years old, maybe a little older than that, and it's a, it's a reskin of a game from roughly the year 2000 called Vinci, which is a game about the conquest of Europe. Now, it's super abstract. The game Vinci was super abstract that you ended up getting two different kinds of social traits that a society might have, like they're they're interested in mining and they're interested in diplomacy. And that sort of became your, your country, if you will's, um, power. Vinci did not have a very clearly defined 
start and end clock, so it would sometimes take quite a long time. Small World is a game that's played in a fixed number of turns, and you have only that number of turns. I think it's 10. Uh, at least that's what... And, the, or may, does it maybe change with the number of players? Does it change? I don't. I know the map changes. Yeah, the, yeah, the, 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 yeah. The, the map... The map art and the map kind of mathematics of this game, kind of ridiculous, that you have a bunch of maps and a a map for a two-player game and a map for a five-player game has exactly the right amount of space to create just the right amount of tensions. It's a really well-designed... I mean, the art is beautiful. It's very well-designed. But you have a a fixed number of rounds, and you have to get all the points you're going to get within that framework. And each time you play, you start with a particular combination of qualities that are based on essentially fantasy fairy tale races. Okay, so when you when you start the game, you're going to have a combin a handful of combinations. Of an adjective and a fairy tale race, like uh, farming rat people, um, uh, peace loving uh, ghosts, uh, right, um, <laughs> right, right, you know, uh, 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 or or whatever, you know. There, there's a bazillion combinations, and many of them are uh, are like, oh, that combination is going to win me a lot of points, or that one's like. I have no idea how to even play that, right? Right. Um, but you've got a lot of of narrative uh, uh, excitement in the way that these the way that these adjectives and fairy tale races intersect. So you've got a board, you've got it set up, you've got these races that you need to 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 make a decision about. The first thing you do is decide. Well, what do I want to be? You know, do I want to be, uh, you know, bivouacking dwarves? Do I want to be, uh, you know, underworld sorcerers? Whatever. Okay. So you pick your race and you get a certain number of pieces. And the two qualities that you have tell you something about the way in which you're supposed to interact with other players, their pieces, and the rest of the board. On your turn, you gather up. Uh, all of the excess pieces that uh, you have from uh, what you have placed on the board previously, and you you move your pieces around the board with the intention of taking control of areas of the board that you think are going to earn you victory points, or that you hope will earn you the maximum amount of victory points that you can earn. Uh, the combat between races is very straightforward. If you have one more piece than the other person... They take all their pieces off. They lose one, and then they get to put any anything extra back on the board when it's back to being their turn. Uh, you know, you take your turn. The next person takes theirs, and so on and so on. You score points at the end of every single one of your own turns. So, you know, when you when you've done the best you can do, you score the most points that you can score, and then it goes around and around. Now, Two things about Small World that are particularly interesting. The first are these character combinations. And Small World, they've published dozens more 
uh, of them. So the fantasy races get right, even and, more. In the expansions, there are more fantasy races, more adjectives. Right. And um, we didn't quite say this at the beginning. Um, and, may, you know, we've played so many times we can imagine it. Um, you randomly align the adjective with the fantasy race. Right. So you don't always have the same combination. Um, you know, rat people are not always the same type of rat people. Right. Because you're mixing up all the tiles and then sticking these two combinations together. And, you know, sometimes you're really lucky and you get the perfect adjective with the perfect fantasy race. And then another right. time you get some sort of wacky combination. Right. <clears throat> Which may itself generate a huge number of points. You just... Just don't know yet. It doesn't right. seem to fit, but yet it yet it generates a lot of points, right? Um, so you've got, uh, you know, like, like Tracy said, you've got these kind of randomly determined qualities that give you a direction, a kind of sense of narrative. What am I supposed to be doing? Oh, I see. I really care about coastal provinces or I really care about the lake. Most people can't even go into the lake, but maybe you can. And by virtue of that, you're going to take control of that. And that's an area on the board that you're going to be able to do something with that, um, you know, that other people can't do. So you, you take your turn, you take your turn. At some point, it's going to become clear that you've maxed out the number of victory points that this particular combination is going to earn you. And you're going to do something that the game calls go into decline, which means you're going to Turn basically turn in your race combination, turn it back to the to the you know to the pile to be selected again, right. um, and you're going to turn over your pieces on the board so that it's clear that they are no longer quote unquote active. You'll score a few points and then you'll pick a new combination and start with a fresh new combination of pieces and powers. And, you know, you'll continue. The person who wins this game is the person who can best understand how they should go into decline and when they should go into decline. People who lose the game, generally, almost no one declines too early, but frequently people will hold on a turn or two too long. And by that point, you just, you've given away. Right. Yeah, you've given away too much mojo. Right, right. Um, Unlike a game like Risk, where... You know, you're you're on Earth and there's these sort of kind of clear military objectives and and it's very much uh, it's very much themed that way. Uh, Small World is what I would describe as more or less a pure area of area control game. Right. It's simply, you know, each square is worth one unless that square has something that you care about. If you care about mountains and you occupy the mountains, you get a bonus. If you want grasslands then you get a bonus for or if you want uh, magic sources or whatever right and the way the board is designed you're motivated not only by your character power but by uh, but by the way the board is structured to right. uh, you know to make certain decisions you're not really incentivized unless you have a racial power that incentivizes you to just kick the crap out of your fellow players right right there are some powers or unless that- or unless your opponent incentivizes you by hogging all the grasslands. Well, there is that. Yes. Right. <laughs> if, if they see that what you want is forests 
and they sort of right. gleefully go in and occupy as many forests as they can. Right. We're going to throw down. It shouldn't be any great surprise when you bring your forest-loving Spider-Men. Right. Amazons. Yeah, Amazon. Those are good. I love the Amazons. Amazons are good. <laughs> They're so hard to get rid of. But it's like, oh, I'll just take four more pieces. That's fine. Right. Yay, Amazons. <laughs> um, and um, with, with an inexperienced player at the, at the table, it takes an hour. With experienced right. people, it's it's forty five minutes. You know, you just yeah. boom, 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 or boom, less. boom. Yeah, yeah, or less. Um, and you know, for that for that reason, it's it. Uh, you know, it really does verge on on being sort of a perfect gateway game. Um, Tracy, you like this game? I really like Small World. Yeah, now, I haven't. It makes me want to play. I haven't played Small World in a long time. Right. Because I you know how whenever whatever hobby you're in, right? And ours is gaming. You play a game to death and then you move on to something else. Right. And New it's hotness. Been a, it's been a couple of years since I've played Small World. Right. Uh, so I think I might take it to my gaming meetup uh, in two weeks and see if I can get someone to play with me. Nice. So yeah. o- over uh, uh, over the summer, I did some traveling with a. Uh, the family of a, of a former student of mine, you know, he's now in his thirties and, you know, he has young kids of his own. Um, and I had small world. Okay. as something for us to, to do. I figured, okay, I'll, yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll teach the older kid, you know, how to play. Right. Cause he's six and small world, the precocious six year old, a six year old can learn. Right. Yeah. Okay. So we're playing the two player version, right. Utterly spanked, utterly yep. crushed. <laughs> right? It was. It was the. It was like the worst rope a dope. It's like, it's one thing to lose to a six year old, right? But to lose by fifteen points, it's ridiculous. Right, uh, gentle listener. This is your reminder that John and Tracy do not play board games to win because they rarely win. They rarely <laughs> win, but we sure do like talking about games. I can't wait to play another game with a six-year-old who's going to crush me like there's nobody's business. He's a nice kid, but really? Yeah. Come on. What about okay, your so elders? What are, what are some things that we can take from small world into the classroom? Okay. So, you know, we've, we've talked about the two, the sort of the two ways that you do this, right? If you do game-based learning, in which you play mm-hmm. the game right out of the box for whatever merits it has. Uh, right. And then gamification where you use the engine of the game, where you use the framework and structure of the game and, uh, and you know, sort of do something with that framework or structure. Now, in terms of game-based learning, I don't think there's a lot there. Okay, and that's just I me. I agree, okay. yeah. I think... Maybe for younger kids... To teach them about, you know, why people would move to different places or something like that. But I think there's better games to do that. Yeah, yeah. I think there's better ways to do that with yeah. younger kids. I mean, for, uh, to be to be very direct about it, if if you wanted to use the small world mechanic as a tool of game based learning, just go find an old copy of Vinci, which will simulate the sort of arrival of of different right. kinds of Iron Age people to Europe 
And, and in that regard, it does a fine job. I think I might, I might not play the game, but I might take the, the fantasy race adjective character development system mm-hmm. out and have students interact with that. Okay. If right. you were in a creative writing class. That's what I was going to say. It would be great, great um, starting off points for a creative writing class or, you know, to imagine, you know, why these zombies are peace loving or what does a zombie that's peace loving even look like? Right, right. Um, it's, I mean, something like that, right? Right. But I think, I think unlike many of the other games that we've, that we've talked about this season, I, d- I just don't, I don't see myself using it. Um, I would agree. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, where would you use it? You use it in a game design class. Sure. Sure. Right? Teach, you know, teach about area control and yeah, you might use it in a, yeah. in a class where you're, you're, you're trying to understand, um, something, uh, about, uh, kind of mathematics and probabilities and things of that sort. You should have show the board or something like, I don't think I'd play the game right. though. Right. No. So no. now having said so, that gamification, right now, gamification, I think you've got a lot more, you got a lot more substance. Okay. Area control games are interesting because what do they do? They incentivize certain kinds of behavior, certain kinds of conflict, certain kinds of relationships between players based on the stuff of the board, okay? Right. And if things are scarce, that generates more interesting conflict, okay? Or more interesting kind of relationships, okay? Now, I think if you think about it as a tool of learning history, it's almost self-evident how this would work, okay? You know, you've got... You've got various resources. They might be political. They might be military. They might be, uh, they might be actual resources. You know, steel, iron, blah blah blah. Right. Um, but they're actual physical things that you want to gather, and you want right. to own. Okay. And and if you control certain combinations of territories, you can then do things that other players can't do because they don't have access to them, right? Wanting to have access to the things that you care about would lead to kind of conflict. That's what so many, that's what a lot of war is about, right? Right. Right. The competition for a resource or, right. Exactly. So you could imagine a, uh, you know, a, a teacher saying, you know, let's look at the history of the Middle East from the perspective of water. Okay, you've got Israelis, you've got Jordanians, you've got Palestinians, you've got Syrians. Da, 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 da. You've got the Sea of Galilee, you know, you've got the Jordan River, and you need X number of units of water per X per turn in order to maintain that, civil civil order. Right, and how yeah. are the different groups <clears throat> right interacting? Exactly. Over that conflict. Right. Yeah. What does control look like? How do you manage that? Can you build dams? You know, stuff like that. Right. Right. Um, You think about um, in the American Civil War, one of the things that made the difference between the North winning and the South winning 
was who had the industrial capacity and who had the ability to move steel and coal, etc., you know, around their part of the country. And in the north, that far many, 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 many more railroads and a lot more resources that you could get that you could get access to, right? So if you wanted to simulate an understanding like a like a different way of thinking about railroad games, right? If railroads are the uh, you know, are are the thing that matter, it'd be very easy to construct an area control game where you are trying to get the things you need to build and maintain your railways. Uh, most rail games don't do that, but but that would be something that would be pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I think about teaching colonialism. Um, That's something that I don't think about very often. As a historian, I've thought about it a lot. Right. <laughs> yes. So, you know, you think about what, what? Why would the British have spent so much of their energy in the eighteen? hundreds conquering India because the stuff there that's worth having right? right why Australia why New Zealand why South Africa why why Eastern North America and on and on and on right because there's stuff that matters right so do you think you would maybe have students design their own map or exactly. game board exactly. that would have different sections of the board and what what was there that made it um, worth controlling yes and maybe some combination some adjective and group name combinations of you know who might be interested in controlling that area and right things right. like that right you know you you might you might imagine a situation where you have different, Companies in in say 18th century Britain okay. with different motivations, right? You know the uh, uh, the pillaging Virginia Company as opposed to the settling Virginia Company, right? Something yeah. like that, right? And you know you'd have the you'd have the the students defining what these terms mean and how they cause different interactions with you know with the board and with other players, right? Right. Okay. So right. I mean, to, to to me that the 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 small world engine so obviously fitted to history, right? Yeah. But now move it into another subject, okay? A board is just a physical uh, abstraction of a space, Mm -hmm. okay? Right. You know, if you're playing Risk, it's of the whole world. But imagine an area control game where the resource is social connections, Okay, and the game board is a parlor house. Okay, and you're trying to get students to understand how the Jane Austen novel. Okay, works, yeah. Right. So you right. you could you could easily envision different parts of the house being things you want to control. Right. Right. You know, if you think about, you could even imagine the map being different people. Totally. Right? That you would want to control in a in a piece of literature or right, right. yeah. So so in, you know and and envision envision that, and you think about these kind of you know sort of British costume dramas. Well, everyone's trying to sort of be in right relation to everyone else, right? 
Right. So how do you do that? Well, maybe it maybe it's that you have the favors of the maids, right? Or that you control the, you know, a parlor where the grandmother lives, right? Right. And so that gives you special access, right? And the, the, simply the point here is think about social relations. It's just something that can be, that can be controlled. Okay. Right. You, you and I have talked a lot because we both work in schools about the way that schools work as social uh, yes. kind, of, kind of entities. Yeah. You know, you think about the high status areas and low status areas of schools, right? Not right. hard to imagine an area control game that's about controlling high status areas. Right? It's true. Yeah. Right? It's control, true. control three of the eight high status areas at any one time and you win. Right. Okay. Well, who am I? I'm, I'm athletic nerds. What is that about? Right? Right. I'm, I'm popular band geeks. Okay. Yay. Yay. Right. So, <laughs> but, but you see what I mean, you know, that each yeah. of these things are going to offer a different kind of thing. Right. right. Uh, Im- Im- imagine it in a, you know, in a science classroom where what you're trying to do, and maybe you would do this under sort of time pressure because it might be a little bit more, eh, is you've got a laboratory simulated, of course, right, that's got stuff, atoms, elements, materials, uh, lab equipment, stuff that you need. And you have to try to get control of those areas where that stuff is faster than your opponent so that you can assemble some kind of, you know. So, so I modeled, um, so my, for my AP chemistry labs this year, I'm doing choose your own lab adventure. Awesome. Um, this is the first year I've had a single um, prep of a lab science because I've, I'm teaching math this year in AP chemistry. Got it. So they have a matrix of labs they can choose from. Right. Um, and in order to do this high-level lab, you have to have completed some lower-level labs that give you the background information you need, et cetera. Yeah. And, and things will be set up all year, but there's going to, it's, it's, so you said a simulated lab, but mine's going to be an actual lab, (laughs) (laughs) but there's not going to be enough equipment for everyone to do lab X on every day. Right. So it's going to be sort of by default, a bit of area of control and good planning on their part. Mm Mm-hmm to make sure that they're going to have access to the equipment that they need. Totally. That should be interesting. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, So by accident, I've sort of made an area of control. Lab game. Lab lab game. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Um, So really, you know, folks, listeners, when you think about area control, you really are thinking about abstracted physical space you're thinking about the kinds of people who want to control that space for whatever reason. They have goals. They have objectives. Who are these people and what are their goals? And then the, the physical and, you know, the, the board to some degree represents the, 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 you know, the arena of battle, as it were. Okay. And as long as you think about that arena of battle as something that isn't just about the military – 
it's about access to equipment. It's about access to to social status. It's about access to cultural values. It's about access to the butler. Right. Right. All of those things can work together to make this a mechanic that looks just military, military, military. Right. I mean, risk is the classic model. Right. But not the, it's not the only model. Right. And in fact, in some respects, it's probably not even the best model. I've. Really? Really. (laughs) (sighs) Can I recommend it? That becomes the question. Yeah. (laughs) You know, as like a 14-year-old gamer, Risk was pretty great. Yeah. But now we have Small World. Correct. And we have have (laughs) lots of other choices if you want sort of those military kinds of you know, right. Look, look, a game like Risk is the same problem that all of those games of that sort of era have in that it has a very dubious end condition. Right. And it has one of the most disagreeable of game design qualities, which is player elimination. Yeah. Right. So, you know, your 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 pals are in the middle of a of what's going to be a four-hour game of risk, that's great. And you've been, right, you've been eliminated. Right, but you've been eliminated after 30 minutes. Well, that's no fun. Right. Have right. a great day. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, when I think of um, of area control games, they're often, uh, you know, they're, they're often military games, right? Right. But, you know, if we were going to talk about some, some area control games that you might use out of the box, the one that comes straight away to mind... Um, is a game called 1960, The Making of the President. Okay. Which is a simulation of the Kennedy-Nixon election. It ah, is so you can a, use it right out of the box in a it, history class. Exactly. history class. Yep. Yeah. And it is, uh, it is one of the best. I pay a lot of attention to election simulators. It's something I'm really interested in. It is, uh, it's an extremely well-made tense 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 uh game where you know you can be ahead the entire game and lose it in the last 10 minutes which is the last time i played it uh with my friend sudro brown um he he and i we were playing the game and i started out turn one um well well ahead right you know i was like oh look kennedy's that that's pretty good right right it just got worse for him as the game went on until like by, by turn seven, I was well into the mid four hundreds of electoral votes. We only need 260, 270 to win. Yeah. Right. I was well into the four hundreds and then piece by piece, death by tiny cut. He undid my whole lead. Right. And at the end of the game, he had, 272 or 273 votes. It was so close. We kept counting because neither of us thought it is not possible. He could not have won. After that. After being so far behind for so long. And yet he was, you know, and that's, you know, elections turn on small changes in small places, you know. Right. And, you know, as we know from our own recent historical experience, you don't need to win a popular vote to win an electoral Victory. Right. You know, you need to win those electoral votes. And that's, can I leverage my voters in very specific places? So, um, you know, it, folks, if you like political games and you haven't played 1960, it was just republished. 
And so, you know, go out there and, uh, you know, hurry up and get a copy. Um, Tracy, any other thoughts on, uh, on area control? Um, not on area control. Um, I'm having a thought about how you select your adjective and fantasy race, but I think I might save that for a, um, a blog post. Got it. On game level learn. Okay. There might be something yeah. that, that might be more, yeah. more teased out as a writing task. Right. Great. So look forward to that, everybody. Indeed. Indeed, as we get back into the swing of the school year. Yeah. So, Tracy, what's on our agenda for, for next time? You know, we've done little uh, area control here. What are we doing next? Next, we are going to talk about Spyfall. Oh, nice. Um, which, yes, is a pretty brilliant little game about communication and deduction. Um, it's quite fun for everyone. Um, very easy to play. Um, I'd say even easier probably than small world to learn, um, but can be devilishly difficult to win. <laughs> devilishly difficult. But, yeah. you know, the great thing about Spyfall is that each game takes, I think the rules say eight minutes. Right. 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 So, you can actually time the right. game. You can play longer if you want, but yeah. Right. right. So, yeah, so we'll next time we'll, we'll explain Spyfall and uh, talk about. Uh, Social some deduction. of the uses of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Can't, can't wait. Uh, folks, if you want to reach out to us, uh, we're at uh, gamelevellearn.com, uh, of course. And we have a, an active face group page, uh, Game Level Learn, there. I'm John Cassie at Gmail. She is TLWazenegger at Gmail. That will, of course, be in the show notes. And Tracy, I wish John. I was, uh, was uh, going to be around next Saturday to play some small world with you. That's right. Small world. Yeah. If you're well, in Pittsburgh, indeed, come play small world with us. Indeed. Yeah. If you're in Pittsburgh, <laughs> join Tracy at her, uh, at her meeple event at the local library. Right. And, uh, and, uh, those of you who are not in Pittsburgh right now, um, you know, John con two is coming up soon. We hope so. Uh, <laughs> so we'll do it then. Thanks folks. And, uh, stay Bye. tuned for, uh, spyfall.